This episode of the Flush Podcast is brought to you by Aluma Trailers, Waltons, Onyx Hunt, and by Nutrisource Pet Foods. Today I'm joined by Fred Bohm, owner of Sage and Breaker. Last summer, Fred sold his house and took his family on a western road trip during the entire hunting season. We'll find out what it was like combining family life with work life and hunting life while living on the road 24 7. Welcome to another episode of the Flush Podcast. I'm Travis Frank. I'm your host, Brandon Morton, as always, What's is our producer. Good morning, Brandon. How are you doing in this fine day? God, I, was, I forgot my mic wasn't uh, was still alive. Whatever. <laughs> Pull it together, man. I know. Pull I'll, it get together. I'll get there. I'll get there. Our guest today is Fred Bohm. Fred, I, we had you on last summer, and <clears throat> when we ended the conversation, you revealed that you were selling your house and taking your family on the road. And I, it's been in my mind to have you back on this show because you've got a young family. I've got a young family. We're living a very, very similar life, but you had the cojones to pick them all up and take them on the road for how many months? Uh, well, we started it in October and ended it about uh, mid-February. So I don't know if it's cojones, stupidity, um, <laughs> just being naive. I don't know which one of the three, maybe a combination of them, but well, yeah, you're, yeah, you're still we ended alive. up doing it. You're still alive and your kids <laughs> and your wife, you're, you're still married, right? Yes. Yes, I am. <laughs> kids are still safe, doing well. They're alive and kicking, and uh, yeah, yep. So we're, we all survived it. And uh, I, I'll tell you, it was one of the coolest experiences I ever had. Um, it's one of those things, you know, in the beginning, you're terrified of it. You're like, ooh, how is this going to end up? But um, I think like anything else, you know, you, you, you got to go for it. You just, you try it out and you're going to adapt to the things you need to adapt to, make changes, you know, on the fly. And uh, it's exactly what we did. And it worked out great. Wow. Well, congratulations on, on living through it. We're going to dig into it. But before we do, I want to say congratulations on your new home, an actual solid foundation. You went from Colorado to Arizona and I think you said you moved in last week. We did where I I am literally, there's boxes all around me right now. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I've been (laughs) very little sleep. We've been, you know, just trying to get into the house and I get the office set up so I could keep going with Sage and Breaker and do what I need to do there. Um, but yeah, we we made the big move. We jumped out of Denver, um, left the city life, and got into a much more rural setting down in Arizona into into some of the most epic uh, um, quail country there is. Uh, so yeah, it, it was uh, it was a crazy move as well, and um, we're just kind of settling in now. As somebody that spends so much time up in the mountains that you did in Colorado, are you? nervous about not having that or do you feel like you've got enough of that where you're at in Arizona and actually where are you in Arizona now we're down in Sonoida so it's most people would know Patagonia yeah Mern's country down here so there's still mountains like where the house is here we're at about 5,000 vert so you know not that much different than uh, than Denver so you know, I still still have the lungs. It's 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 nice to be able to be at elevation. It's cooler here than say like Tucson and uh, uh, Phoenix, but we're surrounded by mountains here too. You know, we got the um, the Patagonias right here, and there's plenty of hunting. A big big game hunted here as well. So there's that. But we're, we'll still be back um, in Colorado a good bit. I still plan on hunting a ton up there. Um, so yeah, you know, it's, it is a change. It's a lot more desert down here. Um, cowboy country and, uh, no, we absolutely love it though. It's, it's, it's so beautiful. I've hunted quail in that region two times now, and I've mentioned it on this podcast numerous times that it's one of those places down in that, you know, Southern Arizona. It's, it's one of those places that if you ever have the opportunity and the means to do it, don't pass up the chance to go down there on a hunt because it is so scenic. <clears throat> and Mern's quail, you know, depending on the dogs you've got, you know, they're a 
they're kind of like, you know, people call it the gentleman Bob, you know, where a covey will hold tight. Mern's quail will hold tight. And you watch a dog go on point in the mountains on the, on the side of a cliff and uh, just like take in that picture in your mind for a minute. It'll stay there forever. I've got it seared into my brain. But then also scaled quail, gambles, you know, the runners, I mean, the locations you find them, the cactus areas. I mean, it's just such a cool place to bird hunt that I just, I could go on and on and on about how much I enjoy it. But is that why you moved down there, Fred? It is. It, I mean, that's a good portion of it. Um, we love the people down here. We love the, you know, just getting out of the city. Like, you know, you had said earlier, we got um, young kids as well. So one of this, you know, had them grow up in a, in, in a setting where they got a little bit more room to run around. They got a little boy that's just got endless energy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're, we're on five acres here. He could run around the property with the bird dogs. Um, you know, it was just, it was the setting here. It was the beauty. It was being so close to just epic hunting, you know, whether it be the quail here, um, uh, coos deer hunting, and it just being in Arizona itself. It was a great fit for us. So, yeah, you know, and, and I agree. I, the Merns itself, you know, we hunted, gosh, I think we were down here. We spent about a month uh, during the season and I mean, it's not often you get to hunt quail in the mountains. I'm used to scalies and, you know, gambles and they're down more in the lowlands and stuff where they could run like this is it's thicker cover. And it was great. We got a, you know, a young bird dog, just about a year old. And like you were saying, those merns will hold tights so was it was phenomenal to be able to bring, you know, a young dog out there and didn't have to worry about the running and him, you know, she, her repositioning. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was a great training for her. So we, we stuck around here to really get her on a lot of birds. Um, but it's just everything. The, the whole environment, it's just epic and it's got big mountains and lots of backcountry you could hike into and get away from the roads and, and people. Uh, um, I don't know. It was, it was every single thing about this place you know, ticked every box yep. that we had on our uh, our list, and uh, that was the reason for the move. Oh man! Well, congrats again on that. Let's go back to October. Um, you sold your place. What did you guys um, pack up and 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 hunt in? And how did you come up with your game plan for the season? Well, we kept it pretty loose. We knew you know the general states we wanted to go hit and when. But it, it kind of turned out to one of these things like, you know, if we were really enjoying ourselves in one spot, we were going to stay there. You know, that was the beauty of being on the road. But it was quite a, it was a, a lot of work up front. So, you know, we had to get the house sold. I had to get everything with the company straightened out exactly how, you know, everything was going to work. We, you know, picked out a camper. Um, and then we, you know, it, when, when the house sold, we had everything packed up and uh, we pointed north and we went up to Idaho. I had not hunted upland in Idaho. And there were some species up there that I, you know, I mean, Idaho is like, that's the Mecca. You could, you could hunt any bird you want pretty much, um, in the U S there. And that's what we did. I wanted to get a Hungarian partridge and a rough grouse. That was the big goal up there. So we went up and we stayed there for, for quite a bit during the season, uh, most of October. Um, and you know, started the trip off up there and, you know, got our feet underneath us. Cause it was, it was terrifying in the beginnings. So, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there trying to figure out, what parts of the day I need to be working with the company and, you know, we're, we're homeschooling the kids at this point. And now you're talking about all of us being in a camper, about 300 square feet altogether, you know, going from a normal house to this, it was, uh, it, it was quite a, um, a, a surprise, a shock. You know, we learned a ton from it. Um, can I ask, can I, stop things you that, can I ask, yeah, what, yeah. What, did, what did you learn? Like, what was the biggest shock for you going into that, you know, leaving, a home base, a solid foundation in going to a smaller space in an unknown place? Well, it was probably schedule, you know, just getting that daily routine that you're used to when you're at your home, you knew what you did in the morning. You got up, you took care of emails, the kids woke up, you fed them, you know, started schooling with them. Uh, you know, everything was just such a set routine in the house. Now, all of a sudden you're thrown into an environment where everything's different, you know, being the home that you're staying in, the camper, um, the town, trying to figure out the logistics there, making sure you always had an internet connection so you could work. Um, that was probably, you know, just kind of setting up that pattern, that routine was the toughest thing in the beginning. Uh, and that just takes time, you know, and it takes, you got to keep it kind of loose and 
you know, if something comes up, you, you adjust for it. But trying to get that pattern down because you want the kids on that certain that schedule, that routine. Uh, so it, it was a bit to learn that. I would say that was the toughest part of the whole thing. And how old are your kids? Four and six. Okay. And I've, you know, I've, I've followed a lot of your posts on Instagram too. And, and they're along on a lot of your hunting adventures. Um, how, how, what's like percentage wise, how often are they with you when you're out there hunting? For Upland, I would say probably... No, 75% of the time, you know, we, we would take them out there. Yeah. If I had to go out and do some scouting, um, some stuff in the morning, do some of the photography that, you know, I, I just needed to get, uh, for the company for, you know, whatever else, then I would head out. But for the most part, you know, the, the schooling would be done in the morning and by the afternoon, it was pretty much free and clear. And, you know, went back, grabbed the wife and the kids and we would just go out and we would hunt, um, take them out as, you know, as much as they could do. Uh, my little boy, I mean, again, I, like I said earlier, endless energy. So I could, he would do miles with me. Uh, there were certain days where we would shuttle, you know, my, my wife would drop me and my son off and and my daughter would stay with my wife. And you know, if they heard shots, they would come out. So they would use us as bird dogs essentially. Yeah. (laughs) And then they would come out and join us or, you know, the predetermined spot where we would, um, end up, they would start there and just come towards us. But no, we, we incorporated them in everything right from the beginning, it wasn't going to be about dad going out hunting and they just trailed along. They were going to be involved in the whole process and they got used to it. And you could see the progression as time went on, um, you know, both their stamina, their enjoyment of it. Uh, you know, it just became a part of their normal of what, 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 what we do as a family. So well, it was really cool to see that development. You mentioned this on the show last time we were talking about how Hunting for you is a is a normal way of life, and I completely relate to that because that's what my wife and I uh, have done with our kids too. It's it's not something that is you know like separate from what, everything else we do. It's just it's normal. Like for instance, you know, last night I took my two boys and then my nephew, who's who wants to hunt just as much as I do and my my kids do. Uh, we put out the turkey blind last night, and tomorrow morning, we're going to sneak out in the dark, and we're going to go out, and uh, I've got a six, a seven, and a 10-year-old that we oh will gosh. be turkey hunting <laughs> tomorrow morning, and it's just normal. You know, last year, they my my oldest, my seven-year-old, uh, he was six at the time. He got his first turkey on his first time that he could hunt, but he'd been coming with since he was three, you know, so oh my gosh, we... Yep. You know, the first time, and now I'm just telling stories here because I love them, but the first time we ever went turkey hunting, we snuck out into the blind in the dark. The turkey started gobbling, and his eyes lit up. He heard the gobbles back to the call, and we were talking, and after 15 minutes, he was done for the day. (laughs) We didn't even last long enough for the birds to come out of the roost and land on the ground, and that was okay. Like, that was, the seed was planted, you know, and uh, now... You know, last year as he's six, as a six-year-old, he, he got his first time on opening day and tomorrow's our opener in Minnesota. And I'm hopeful that he's going to get a shot and my nephew will eventually get a shot and little brother will get a shot when he's ready. He's, he's just said, nope, not ready yet. I'm going to come with, but I don't feel like shooting and that's okay. But then afterwards, you know, we, we clean the birds together. Uh, last year I asked, what would you like to make with it? And he wanted jerky. So we marinated the meat together, put it on the smoker together, took it off. And then all my kids hammered it. it the turkey did not last a full day, but that's just our normal, like we celebrated it because it was such a big deal for him, but that that's just our normal life, Fred. And, and you mentioned it and hit it right on the nail on the head when you said that we just make that our normal life. Yeah. And, and I think that's, you know, kids are so resilient. They're, they're, they're going to adapt to their environment. They don't know any better. So if you teach them at that young age, this is how we live life. You know, that could be for, you know, whether it's hunting every day or some kids get put in front of video games every day and that's their normal and they're used to that. You know, so this is just what we decided to do. This is what we do as a family. So let, let's introduce them as young as possible now, being a parent, you also have to realize exactly what you said there as well. You know, it, maybe it only lasts 15 minutes the first time you go out there, and that's where they're happy and they got to see enough. 
great. Well, that's a successful day for you. It doesn't mean that turkey had to die or, you know, you'd go shoot a quail or whatever, yep. but you got them out and, and they got to experience that and you left on a good note. So just, you know, you slowly work into it. And over time, you just keep an eye on them. You know, you know if they're getting bored or, you know, they're starting to complain, well, you head back and that's, you know, that, yeah. that's enough for the day. Yep. But you do see that starting to build up and that drive in them uh, start to increase. So, yeah. No, I, that's just the way we always treated it. This is what we do as a family and um, they're part of that. And and they realize, you know, they get to see exactly the whole process from, from hunting the animal to taking the animal to cleaning them and eating them afterwards. This is what they see on, you know, a pretty regular basis with us. Yeah. To take that even a step further. And I, I mean, since we're really di- diving in here with the kids, I like to include them in the work that goes into it too on the front end. Um, you know, a couple of weeks ago I had all three of my kids, um, in the car with me and we went and we knocked on farmer's doors, asked permission. Um, they've also made cookie treats to give to some of the farmers that have let us go on in the past. Um, they help make the, the brats and sausage. It's our old family recipe. My kids are hands on with that. And then we give it to them, um, as a way of saying, thank you to giving us permission to hunt on there. And they're standing there. They're a part of the conversation. Some of these landowners now that my kids have been coming for a couple of years, they ask the kids questions, they're engaged. So it's all part of it for them. My hope is that they're going to know how to do this on their own and to be very successful at talking with landowners and gaining their own permission as they get older. Well, and to be fair, doesn't having a kid with when you ask for permission <laughs> actually help you get permission? Oh, yeah. It oh, ups, yeah, for sure. Okay, the I'm just saying. For sure. Because yeah, yeah. they're like, you're totally cheating. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Good point, Brandon. Absolutely. But it's not my. My uh, reason for doing it, although it's beneficial, that sure. is a good point. Um, a lot of these uh, landowners have already given me permission before my kids were present. <laughs> you know, one of them is like, one of them, we were joking. I've been hunting on their land since, for over almost 24 years now that they've given me permission. 24 straight years. And I wow. know their whole family. And they were, he was laughing. He's like, how long have you been coming out here? And because every time I tell him, like, I can't make these memories without you. And that's important to me. And I appreciate you. I appreciate this opportunity as my kids are standing there and now they're growing up too. You know, like it's, yeah. it's, it's a great cool way to, of putting it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, and then bringing them with last night to, to put the blind up and having them put the stakes in the ground. And, and we worked at, we looked at, okay, where should we put the decoys? How do we want to put the decoys out? So in their mind, all this is going on. They're thinking through everything. And then all of a sudden I go, and in the woods, they hear, up in the trees and they just froze and they heard a hen and they're just jacked because they know the birds are there. The blind is set now in their mind, the anticipation is building. I'm excited if you can't tell, but Oh gosh, I, I love it. I love, I could have conversations like this every single day, Fred. I really could. Oh, I know. I know. And I got a million stories about, yeah, their eyes lighting up and, you know, yeah. just, just having them out there. It's, you know, I compare, sometimes I say, like, I wouldn't upland hunt without the bird dogs because you love watching the excitement and, and then mm-hmm. doing something they love and work. Well, it's, it's a lot of this is turning with the kids too. Like it, I feel like there's something missing when I go out there sometimes and I don't see my kids and like them exploring and picking up rocks. And then all of a sudden we're getting, you know, they see the dogs acting a certain way and like, okay, well, what's going on here? And they're getting birdie and, you know, them analyzing and their little brains working and, uh, and getting involved in this. Like, yeah, there's a part of me missing every time I go out and hunt solo anymore. I'm like, Oh, I want my kids with me. So yeah. it's yeah. a cool feeling for sure. Well, finding that balance is important. I mean, you need to have a little bit of time for yourself too. And just like I do, I mean, there's times where it's just like, um, just a carefree walk where I'm able to just be mind free. Um, not having, cause I'm really focused when I'm taking other people out. I'm really focused on them. And then sometimes uh, at the end of it, I know I'm mentally drained because I'm like, I'm worried about so many different things. Here's an example, Fred. Um, I, I've introduced my kids slowly to shooting, uh, starting, you know, when they were two or three, we got the little shotgun with the little orange tip that makes a little 
noise when you mm. pull the trigger with the battery in it. But, uh, you know, they brought that with into the field the first time. Then they started shooting BB guns. Then it went to a 22. And then we worked into, I've got a, a youth uh, 20 gauge shotgun. And so my oldest has been shooting that for a couple of years now. And that's why last spring I was, I just felt really comfortable taking him out turkey hunting. Um, you know, after he shot boxes of shells and, you know, being really a good shot at it, um, <clears throat> and him with the desire to want to hunt, uh, said, okay, we'll do it. My middle child last fall, we shot that same shotgun and, I sat next to him. I held the gun with him. I explained to him that it's gonna it is gonna be uh, the the recoil. It's gonna hit his arm. It's gonna be different than the other guns. And the first shot he shot, and he felt that, and he was like, "Whoa, that was so cool!" And he hit the target. <laughs> and the second shot he took. This is where I made a, a huge mistake, Fred. The second shot, um, I sat next to him, but I let him hold it on his own. And at the last second, he changed the way he was holding the gun. And when it shot, the gun wasn't tied up against his arm. And it kicked back. And it hurt his arm. And he started to cry. And at that exact moment, I knew how drastic of a mistake I made. Because he did not want to shoot again. And now, eight months later, we're sitting there last weekend. And it's still in his mind. I knew it was in his mind. I was trying to get him to shoot again right away after crying. I said, buddy, we can, we're going to do this. Because I wanted him to leave with a good memory. And instead, he sure. left with that poor, that bad memory of that being in pain. And I, I'm still trying to figure out how to get through that with him, how to build his confidence back up so that he's not scared of the shotgun. Do you have any tips or any ideas on how I can help him get through that? Boy, that's yeah, that's a tough one because uh... – I, it was a good idea when you said, yeah, kind of get back on that horse right away. See if you can get them to shoot again. But with young ones like that, that pain is going to, you know, stay in their brain. I mean, maybe it's just taking some steps backwards, going back to the pellet gun and going back to, you know, and then slowly work and go to the 22 and the 22 mag or whatever you have to slowly work up and say, okay, this one's just a little bit more than the last time, a little bit more than the last time. And then, you know, perhaps explaining to him like, well, the reason that one hurt a lot more, and I'm sure you did explain this, but just the fact that it had time to pick up speed because it wasn't up against your shoulder. And yeah. remember the first time you shot it when it was tight up against your shoulder, it didn't hurt. So we just got to be real careful to make sure it's always tight up against your shoulder, but it might be just taking steps backwards and then working through that process again. Yeah. Yeah. I think time for him, I'm just letting him move at his own pace, which is something that I think, you know, I've, I've, I try to note, I try to make notes or pay attention to other, uh, you know, parents and, and things that they've learned. I know a lot of people that dislike hunting or fishing, they're the common thread or the common message I've received from them is that when they were a kid, their dad took them out and they stayed all day in the boat. It was hot. Nothing mm -hmm. was biting. <laughs> and I just hated to fish or sitting in the deer stand all day. It was freezing out. You know, I was cold and I just decided I didn't want to do that anymore. So they're the, the bad memories are, are sticking there and I'm trying to just let them go. My kids go at the pace that they want to go at come when they want to come. They're always invited, always include them, make it about them, but leave them wanting more. And some of these things you just come up like this and now it's like, all right, time's got to pass. I'm trying to keep it fun. He's still interested tomorrow morning. He's still coming. He's just choosing not to partake in the shooting and that's okay. He's still going to celebrate. He was there last year when Weston, my oldest got his first Turkey and we, you know, like he's still part of it. So I, I'm, I'm hopeful that it'll come back around and, and we'll, we'll get to that. Um, but there are certainly lessons to be learned all the time, and I'm still learning a lot, and I will continue to learn a lot. But I feel like the biggest, the big thing is just bringing them out there. I know a lot of adults that have kids that are 8, 10, 12 years old that have been waiting. They just keep telling me, like, wow, we're waiting for this. Or I feel like once he's a little bit older, then I want to bring him. And, I, and I've told them bluntly, you're missing an opportunity here. Yeah. Yeah. You're missing that initial, like getting them excited, young, getting them to, you know, think of all the little character building things that you're doing out there. You know, they're, they're learning to deal with the cold a little bit. They're learning to be, well, 
trying to learn to be quiet. That's a (laughs) tough one. Um, But all these little things that they're learning by the time they're 10 or 12, you know, that's, that's like saying, I I want my, my child to be a great football player when he's 10 or 12 years old, but you never threw a football with them or you never ran with them or you never, you know, just got the initial basic start uh, uh, set with them. You know, it's a bit tougher because you don't know how they're going to act at 10 years old. You know, those little character building things you're doing each time you take them out there. uh, I think it's so important and and start that as young as you're willing to um, bring them out, you know. But just as we had said, take it easy, just a little at a time and you slowly start building up. By the time they're 10 or 12, they they might be out shooting me. I don't know. You know, I'm a better hunter than I am. So Yeah, I bet a kid at pheasant fest a couple weeks back and he shot over 40 chucker this year and he's oh my gosh so it's probably got some legs on him and lungs i'll tell (laughs) you oh man it's impressive it is so impressive uh so you're in idaho which is a place that you know i talk about arizona a lot i talk about idaho a lot when people ask you know hey if you got a bucket list trip for a bird hunt where would you go those are two places that i recommend a lot because like we just talked about with the, the country in Arizona, Mern's country, and then the variety of birds and the terrain. But Idaho, that was first on your list, is, is up there too because of the variety of birds, the terrain, the, the views, uh, the challenges, the public land that's available. Uh, why, where did you decide to drop your camper and start hunting and why? We based out of Boise. Um, just because this was our first stop, really. So, you know, we wanted to be in a big enough town where, you know, whatever supplies we needed and, you know, to make sure I had a good internet connection for the company. And because, I mean, it was endless public land, you just picked a direction for the day. Go north, south, east, or west. It doesn't matter. And you're going to hit birds. You're going to hit a ton of public land. I mean, it was endless. And, you know, we had only planned on staying there for, oh, you know, maybe a week or two and then and then move on throughout Idaho. But we just never ran out of land there <laughs> and we never ran out of birds. And it was like we always had something new to go explore. So that that was our base for for the Idaho trip. Um, and that's that, you know, it was it was that good. Of, <laughs> the hunting was so phenomenal there that we just didn't need to. Uh, you know, pick another home base. So we, we worked out of there and we hunted every bird we wanted to hunt. And, uh, you know, we traveled a good bit each day, an hour, hour and a half, uh, sometimes more just to explore. But it, it was a perfect hub for us to, to base this, uh, the beginning of the expedition out of. I feel like you're the kind of hunter that enjoys the challenge of figuring it out on your own. Is that accurate? Oh, I would say so. Yeah. You know, and I do talk to friends and say, you know, is this a good area to start? And then after that, yeah, I do like, cause I don't know. I, I just like exploring. That's, that's half the thing I could get into uh, a, some great cubbies and like, okay, well that's it for that spot. I already, I know this spot now. Now I want to go check out this new area and that's, that's half of it for me. I just want to, you know, move my feet and drop pins on my, uh, my map and just keep exploring. Cause I, that, that's part of it, you know, and, and it's, go over a ridge and there's this beautiful, you know, scenic shot Then I have my camera with, I could take pictures and like, is it the exploration is such a huge part of hunting for me um that yeah yeah i kind of like to figure a lot of this out on my own and you said you have a one-year-old puppy do you have an, any other dogs that you hunted with we do we have breaker as well which is our poodle pointer and he's um he's seven years old or seven and a half so he's he's the rock right now um yes yeah, so we had the two of them and then pistol is our one-year-old english setter and um so we had the two of them out there because last year we had just hunted with Breaker and I mean, we just needed more dog power. Sage, our, our lab had passed away oh, two years ago. So it was time for another. And uh, yeah, we needed a little bit more dog power. Um, so yeah, we, we had those two pups with us. Uh, what is it like to hunt behind Breaker? I mean, the Poodle Pointer, is is that a, a big ranging dog or no. one that stays close? Nope. It, I'll tell you, I'm used to closer working dogs. Again, you know, I had a, a lab before this. Uh, Sage was my my first real bird dog once I got out west. Um, and of course, you know, being a flusher, he was he was a very close working dog. And then Breaker hits about that hundred, maybe a hundred and fifty yard mark. So I'm used to closer working dogs. Um, and then all of a sudden, I got Pistol, which is. <laughs> 
Yeah. Holy smokes. <laughs> this little white speck out in the horizon. And I got a GPS for her. And I mean, she's out at 800 yards and I'm like, oh man, I, I'm doing something <laughs> wrong. But it was, it took me so much. Welcome you know, to I'm my called, world, Fred. Welcome oh my to gosh. My world. I was having a heart attack. I mean, the first thing I did with her is get her a GPS collar, especially when she was younger and I was just training her in the grouse woods. And I'm like, I, you know, I'd call the wife and I'm like, I, I think we lost our dog. Um, I'm pretty <laughs> sure she's uh, three counties over by now. And uh, that was money down the drain. But no, I, you know, talking with the breeder and, you know, he, he, he talked me off the, uh, off the ledge a bunch of times. He's like, no, this is how they're supposed to work, Fred. Just, you know, yeah. <laughs> bear with her for now until, you know, and then, we, you know, until she put some brakes on and uh, we got recall working with her well. But no, it was, it was completely different between the two dogs. So I would use them for, for different things. You know, Breaker's a bigger dog, so he would push through heavy cover, uh, whereas Pistol would kind of work around the heavy cover, you know, but the big open field, she's just phenomenal uh, and, and so much fun to watch. So, you know, it, it took a bit. It was a learning curve for me, for sure. Well, you've got a lot of pressure on your hands. You got family, you got a business, you've got a new puppy, you've got unfamiliar territory. I would say you've got, um, I, did I say cojones at the beginning of the show? Cause that's what I think. <laughs> I think that's pretty accurate, Fred. How do you keep a business running while on the road? I have to imagine not being present at the, you know, at a, like a, uh, What's the word? I'm like headquarters. Like, headquarters. Yeah. Not yeah. being there. Yeah. Provides challenges. I know at this, you know, when COVID hit and everyone started working remotely, we realized how efficient we can be working remotely. But as the person in charge, do you feel like it's, it's still fair to say that? Yes. So, I mean, I would never suggest this to any <laughs> business owner as the best idea. But, you know, it can absolutely be done. You just have to do a lot of prep beforehand. So it was things like setting up the warehouse, making sure our team was perfect there and, you know, aligned with this idea. And, you know, it, it was a lot of setup beforehand. Um, and then just after that, you know, stepping out of roles where I didn't need to physically be at the location, you know, at the warehouse, um, and then my job really turned into stuff I love to do, which is a getting out there talking with customers B, you know, I mean, I, I still handle all the, the customer service between me and my wife. We handle it ourselves just because we're a smaller company. And I love that interaction with my customers. Like that is so important to me. And I think that's honestly going to be one of these things that may stifle the growth of the company, but it's not just something I love so much. And I think it's so important for us. Um, that I always want to be there to be able to talk to them. So figuring that out, making sure I always had a, uh, a you know cell service of some point where I could get back to people quick enough, um, always having an internet connection. But after that, yeah, I was able to step out and do a lot more of the marketing side of the things, the photography. When it came to product development, I was able to do that on the road. That's the that's the beauty these days. You could do as long as you got a good internet connection, you got your computer with you, you could do most things on the road these days. But that being said, you have to plan everything else ahead of time and get that lined up, get all your ducks in a row. And, um, you know, before, and then after that, it's a leap of faith. There was always that thing, you know, I told my wife, I'm like, if this goes horribly wrong, we're turning a 180 and I got to get back to Denver, you know, but even that, if I needed to fly back to Denver in order to, you know, fix it, you know, put out any fires or that type of thing, um, that was always a possibility and a thought in the back of my head, but never had to this whole trip. You know, the team we have is great. Um, the people I work with are phenomenal and uh, everything ran smoothly. So I was, I was uh, pleasantly surprised. Well, it starts at the top. So obviously you're, you're leading by example. You're, you're running it well. So congrats to you for being able to do that and make that happen. I mean, it's, I think it excites people to hear that that's a possibility out there today. And I know a lot of people are, considering or, you know, want to do something kind of like what you did this year and your proof that you can, no matter what stage you're in in life or family and business, you're able to 
travel. You're able to see the country and make some of your dreams possible. Our friends at Walton's are celebrating this month because they just launched an updated website to make shopping for all of your wild game and food processing needs so much easier. And to celebrate, they're giving away a Walton's chambered vacuum sealer, an assortment of Walton's vacuum bags, an apron, and a collection of seasoning shakers, all valued at over $1,300. The best part? They have giveaways like this each and every month. This is just one of the many ways Jonathan Tremblay and the family at Walton's try to help you make the most of your meat processing and cooking needs. They also host podcasts, live streams, and online chats in their Meatgistics University. Waltons.com has over 5,000 items on their site, in stock, and ready to ship the same day. From grinders, mixers, stuffers, slicers, smokers, vacuum sealers, seasonings, and so much more. Head to Waltons.com to sign up for their giveaway and shop from the comfort of your home or anywhere in the field. Waltons, they have everything but the meat. Aluma Trailers, they've got you covered. Their trailers are built by a hardworking team in Bancroft, Iowa. They have models for nearly any and every hauling need, from ATV and UTV trailers to utility, snowmobile, motorcycle, car trailers, and even fully enclosed trailers like mine. Trust me when I say Aluma trailers tow gear like a dream, and they are 100% maintenance-free. Plus, they come with an industry-best five-year warranty. Visit alumakln.com to find a trailer that fits your needs. For everything that gets you outdoors, Aluma Trailers will help you get there. For people, I think most people are familiar with Sage and Breaker, the gun cleaning spies, but um, if, if they're not, explain to them in a nutshell what you produce. We make high-end gun cleaning products uh, to protect your firearms you know, keep them around for, for generations. The whole thought process behind the company from the beginning is, you know, what I thought was, you know, there's there's a lot of things I'm attached to, a lot of things I'm not attached to. Uh, but firearms, for some reason, you know, they, they go down through the generations. I have guns that were my grandfather's. There's memories attached. You know, he was on a farm. And I, I remember when I was a little kid, I'd go over there. The first thing I would run in and do is look out in the back in the in the garden and see if there was any groundhogs out there because he would shoot the groundhogs because <laughs> they would wreck his garden. But that was some of the earliest memories with my grandfather, just taking the uh, his 22 Magnum um, and, and we would shoot groundhogs if they were around. I think I shot a total of two over years, but it didn't matter. Every single time there, I was excited. And that gun is sitting in the gun safe right next to me right now. There were there were firearms from my father going out hunting with him in the woods that you know all these amazing memories are attached to. And now I got young ones, and I, and I look at these guns, and they're starting to use ones that were you know generations before them. And the idea was keeping these guns around. Um, if you take care of them, they're they're well made. You know the majority of them are extremely well made, and they'll last you know, almost forever uh, as long as you take care of them. And that was the idea behind this, providing products for people uh, that made it easy because that's there, there's the crux of the whole thing. Like if it's a real pain in the butt to clean your guns and it takes forever, people aren't going to want to do it. So we, we did our best to make this as easy as possible for people to clean their guns so that they do it, so that these guns stay around. Um, and we wanted to make the highest end products as well, like our gun cleaning mat. That's going to get passed down through the generations as well. As the guns get passed down to the kids, so are your cleaning products with us. The, you know, the gun case, same thing. We make these things indestructible. We make them beautiful. So it's, it's complementing the firearms that are, you know, laying on them or going inside of them or, or being used to clean them. Um, so that was the, that was the thought, you know, it's just helping people keep these legacies around for generations. Well, I think I've mentioned this a couple of times on the show over the last year or so, but I've got your gun cleaning kit, which is like the mat that rolls out, and then it's got the CLP inside it, the bore cleaner. I mean, you've got the the basics all put together in one kit, but I've taken that with me on the road <clears throat> for the entire last hunting season, and whether I'm on the tailgate or even in my hotel room, multiple times, you know, stuff gets inside your gun, depending on how thick the cover or whatever, seeds, grass, stuff gets in there. So I'm, I'm always taking it apart, cleaning it. Uh, but it's just a handy, handy kit to bring with. It rolls up into this little bundle that I can store in with the rest of my gear. Um, so it's, it's like, in my opinion, it's pretty much exactly what you need on the road. But I will say, 
uh, Fred, I will admit, not say, I will admit to this. My kids' uh, 20 gauge little youth model shotgun somehow, um, in the chaos of taking kids with, there was moisture on the gun. They put it in the case. I thought I put the gun in safe storage. Uh, but it was hanging in the gun case in the garage for several weeks. When I went to go put the gun case that was just hanging up, I grabbed it and I realized, oh no, there's a gun inside of this case, which is completely on me for making this mistake. But I feel like this is a normal mistake that anybody could make um, in life. I open it up and the gun is covered in rust. Yes, thanks, Brad. Yes, exactly. Yes, you nailed it. Yes. Um, And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I cannot believe what I had just done. So I looked at your your video about how to remove rust with a penny, Fred, with the CLP and penny. So I'm I'm on a CLP, and I have a polished penny, and there's no rust on the gun. Is, is did I do the right thing by going that route to uh, to take the rust off, or is there a better solution in your mind? You know, it just depends how how much that rust is dug in there. Mm-hmm. For the most part, I mean, the reason a penny works well, it's a softer metal than you know your firearm. So it's a Rockwell rating is is how they 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 measure the hardness of the of the metal itself. Well penny like copper penny is it's 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 very soft but yet it could still scrub that rust off of there uh so it's a great way of doing it now what 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 it comes down to is how how much did that rust dig in did it you know go through the bluing um you know it may need to be re-blued but no that excuse excuse me but uh the penny itself, it's a great way to take off that rust. And actually, if you go to our website, we did a, a whole article on various ways of taking rust off of firearms because this is a common problem. Uh, it does happen, you know, here and there. And it's, you know, so we have, I think, is a list of like seven different ways to uh, to get rust out of your guns, depending on the different levels, how, how, how much rust is really dug in there. On a scale of one to 10, how difficult is blue in your own gun? Um, I don't do it. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that's, I, it, yes. yeah. So, it's, so it's, it's above whatever my level is and my level is probably a one, you know, so it, it, very, very low when it comes to stuff like that. No, that, that all I would hand over for myself. I handed that over to a gunsmith. Um, you know, and, and they do, it does need to be done from time to time. Uh, so that's, that's up to the individual. I know some of that stuff could get pretty nasty, the blowing. So, uh, I, I hand that one off. Yeah, that's what I'm contemplating now too. I just want to keep this shotgun uh, alive for the next generation, the next generation, because I've already had several young kids shoot a shotgun for the first time with that gun. So I was just mm-hmm. devastated when I saw the mistake that I had made. But I think it happens. You know, I mean, somebody's probably shaking their head like, gosh, Travis, you just can't pull it together, man. But like, I mean, <laughs> kids, life, right? Things. I know. Just, hey, it, I, mistakes happen. I own a is, gun cleaning company that does this type of stuff. And I should have everyone perfect. And there's times that I'm out there, you know, duck hunting and I've done the same thing. I've left it in the case. And that's the worst case scenario just because there's no way for that moisture to evaporate, that it just sits in there. How long does it take so for us to set in? Uh, not long, you know, it, it just depending, you know, how much moisture is in there. Um, it, it, it doesn't take that long, a uh, couple days, I'd imagine. Uh, I haven't really tested that, so I don't know. <laughs> and it depends on, you know, some shotguns, if there's it's exposed steel as opposed to bluing, you know, I'm sure that it, it varies with that as well. But uh, unfortunately, not too long. All right, let's get back to your trip. So from Idaho, where did you go next and why? Idaho went down to Kansas. Um, down there, I had a tag for whitetail, so ended up hunting uh, a good bit there. And then once this, once I got a whitetail, then you know we stayed and hunted uh, quail and and pheasant there for a good bit, which was you know really good this season. Actually, more quail than I've seen in uh, where I hunt, at least in Kansas, than I've ever seen down there in all the years I've been hunting it. So it was really fun. You know, we. we did that for a while, and then we we threw a curveball because we had a little bit of time. We were going to go visit family over Christmas um, down in Texas, so we had a little bit of time left over, and we jumped over to Oklahoma um, and hunted quail there. 
And oddly enough, where we were camping, our neighbor was there from Louisiana and he spends the whole year in Oklahoma just duck hunting. That's his thing, you know. Really? So he was, yeah, and he took, you know, I, I got to know him and he had this crazy boat stuff that I don't even know about. I mean, I duck hunt, but I, I mean, I, I'm not a duck hunter per se. <laughs> this guy was a duck hunter. I mean, he defined it. You know, there's a picture in a library or in a, uh, um, in a dictionary of a duck hunter. This guy's face is on it. So does he look like he was, one of the duck commanders? Yeah, he looked exactly like one of the duck commanders, oh, you know, perfect. and perfect. thick, thick Louisiana draw. I mean, it, he had, you know, he looked like a duck hunter. So he, he took me out a couple days on his boat. Um, and his wife and my wife became good friends. And then, you know, my son, every day I came back and we'd have a couple ducks and he would look at them and he loves the feathers. He'd pluck them off. He's real into arts and crafts and designing, you know, just pictures and putting, you know, gluing stuff to him. So he uses a lot of the feathers that we get from the birds. So he was doing that with the ducks we would bring back. And, you know, he kept asking me if he could go. And I didn't know how to breach that with this, this nice fellow that was inviting me. And eventually my son, you know, talk about cojones, just went up to him and just said, Hey, you know, Mr. Johnny, can, can I go duck hunting with you? And he's like, yes, son. He's like, that would be fine. And we took him out. And after that, Oh my God, it was, it was that point on, he's like, when I grow up that, he's like, can you be a professional duck hunter? And I'm like, oh, geez, I don't, <laughs> I don't know, son. Maybe maybe you can figure something out. But he fell in love with it. I have a ton of pictures of him out there. He was so well-behaved, was amazed that, you know, the duck's coming in. And, I mean, it was it was just something to behold. So that, that just shows you that was a curveball. We didn't even plan on going to Oklahoma. And it turned out to be some of the coolest hunting we did on this whole road trip. What did you do with the deer that you shot? Do you have room to keep that meat in your camper? We kept what we could. You know, it, it was not much room in there. Yeah, there's a couple uh, uh, freezer on the outside, a small one, and then, uh, you know, inside as well. And then I just shipped it back. I have a buddy uh, in Denver that's got our, um, our lay-down freezer, and we just ship it to him, and he would just put it in the freezer for us. So we kept what we could, and the rest got shipped out. Gotcha. I assume a lot of wild game for dinner, lunch and dinner. Oh yeah. yeah. That's, I mean, she, since, you know, since the kids were born, I don't know if they know what, you know, what, what beef is or anything else. Not that we don't like it, you know, just, yeah. but that's it. Yeah. We, we eat wild game. I would say if it's not every single day, it's, it's dang close to it. Love it. Where did you go from Oklahoma? Oklahoma, quick visit down to Texas, uh, visit family. And then after that we went to, uh, then it was Arizona. And I had a, you know, hunted coos deer here for a while and then Mern's quail. Um, so we spent pretty much, I think, pretty much all of January uh, here in the Patagonia, Sonoida area in Arizona. And then after that, you went to New Mexico to close out the season. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah, because then I, I think it was the, if I'm not mistaken, I think Arizona was done on the 8th this year. And then uh, New Mexico ends about mid-month. I think it's the 15th, 15th that that ends. So that gave us a... Yeah, that gave us a little bit more time um, to finish out the season there. So we hunted scalies and, and gambles there and just had an absolute blast as well. So that's one place that I've wanted to go because I love I love that hunt in particular, those two birds. Uh, describe what that is like. Is it similar to Arizona? I mean, you're still in the desert. You're still in cactus country. Uh, what's the terrain like? Because New Mexico just doesn't get a lot of attention for upland bird hunting, at least, you know, here in the North Country. Yeah, and, and I'm surprised about that because it is really good. Um, terrain's different because where I was hunting in Patagonia and Sonora, it, it's thicker. You know, I was really going for Merns out here, so that is a lot more hilly, mountainous, uh, thicker terrain. Real, You know, so that's, I guess, I'm guessing that's why the birds hold so well. So then once you get out to the desert in New Mexico, a lot thinner, flatter grounds. Um, you know, you can hit some bluffs and stuff like that that the scalies will get into. Um, but yeah, a lot thinner and those birds run. Boy, <laughs> howdy, do they run. I don't care if it's scalies or campbells, you know. So I'm glad that was towards the end of the season for at least for my pup uh, trying to figure out, you know, you'd see her get birdie and she's like, where are the birds? I don't understand. What, I'm like, yeah, they're they're they're. Uh, 
a mile further. They, they ran. They 400 ran. yards in front of you right now yeah. on your point. Yeah, I could see them running and she was just <laughs> locked on point. So it was good, you know, to, that was towards the end of the season. But yeah, the birds run a lot there. Um, it was a good year because I hunted it last year and we didn't find nearly the numbers. I don't know if just because we got used to the area and knew, you know, some of the terrain a little bit better. But it was a good year there uh, for both Scalies and Gambles. Um, a lot of fun. It's, it's, it's a great hunt. The Onyx Hunt app is one of the most valuable hunting tools that I take into the field every day. I talk about the Onyx Hunt app every week. That's simply because I use it on every hunt. Seriously, every hunt. Their app tells me everything that I need to know about the land that I want to hunt and the lands that we can all legally hunt on. If you've used it yourself, then you know that the Onyx app shows your location on planet Earth and clearly lays out the land boundaries. It also tells you information about the type of property you're on, like state-owned land, federal lands, and walk-in access properties. It's ideal for scouting before the hunt and during a hunt to help put together patterns. The app also has helpful features that show you the kind of crops that are in the fields, which obviously is a big deal for us upland bird hunters. These are just a few of the many tools Onyx Maps give you, and these maps can even be used in areas without cell coverage. From the palm of your hand, Onyx Maps always help you to know where you stand. Nutrisource Pet Foods just launched a new product that can give our active hunting dogs a big boost when they need it most. It's called Kampucha. Nutrisource Kampucha, inspired, of course, by kombucha, is a savory, meaty bone broth topper that's packed with activated postbiotics from a fermentation product that thrives in the gut to promote a healthy gut ecosystem for digestion support. That's a mouthful. But what it means for us bird dog owners is that we now have a healthy topper to pour over our dog's food if they're ever stressed or won't eat while on a long hunting trip. Kampucha is offered in three flavors, turkey, beef, and chicken, and comes in a 12-ounce pouch. Nutrisource high-performance dog foods provide exceptional healthy nutrition for active dogs of every breed, just like my dog, Daisy. Now they have a topper that gives our four-legged hunters another edge when they need it the most. Check out their full lineup of dog foods at NutrisourcePetFoods.com. Moisture-wise, moisture-wise, when you were down there, I know we got, they got rains in the south, uh, January and February. How is that country looking as far as, because if in the monsoon season down in Arizona and New Mexico, if you get some rains, it can lead to a boom for the following quail season. I, yeah. Did you? Yeah. And Arizona it? got hit hard to this, this last year, this, that last spring. So, um, yeah, I, I know they got a lot of rain last year, which hopefully is going to bring those numbers up. I know the Merns were down in Arizona substantially and that was from previous droughts. Um, so yeah, it doesn't it, it doesn't necessarily affect that year, and of course, then it takes time from the build up. It's not like you just have one good rain and all of a sudden, boom, you know the birds are through the roof. Uh, it, it takes a little bit. So hopefully, this last season with the rains down in Arizona, that that's going to help build them up, and you know, hopefully this year and, and the next you know couple years we could we could get on track with that and get those bird numbers up. But Arizona, I, I, yeah, I'll admit it was a bit tough this year, um, whereas I think New Mexico was a good bit better. Of all the places you hunted this year, what was your favorite and why? Well, you know, it just varies for different reasons. I would say for just a pure joy and uh, excitement of it would be that duck hunt, getting out on that duck hunt with my son, just because it was it was the most amazing thing to see his is just that switch flip and just you know the excitement in him and that was amazing. I would say Idaho was just because it was. Um, so different than what I'm used to. And there was so much different terrain and it was, uh, you could hunt any bird that you really, you really wanted to down there. It's, I mean, gosh, that's a hard one. You know, each one had its, its highlight for its own reason. And I wouldn't have done anything different. There wasn't a single hunt that we did that I would have skipped and said, eh, this place kind of stinks. Uh, we'll avoid that next, you know, avoid that next year. Which I think, um, I think that speaks to exactly what you did by taking and putting yourself out there and traveling around the country. You <laughs> allowed yourself to be in a position where you could say like, wow. I mean, you'll look back and say, look what I just experienced this year. And, and somebody that maybe they just retired, maybe they're at a, a place in life where they've got a whole hunting season to travel, bring your wife, bring a friend, whatever it might be, and go do it. Or bring your family. 
like you just did and, and experience something like this. Did you have any moments or anything that happened that you really learned a lot about yourself or tested you that you're willing to share or lessons that you learned? Yeah, I think patience. I learned, <laughs> and maybe that's a parent. That's always something you're oh, learning gosh, as a parent. Oh gosh, I'm still working on it every single I know. day. It is. It's. It's. It's one of those things. That I. Don't, I never think you're not going to get perfect at it. You know. It, it's always going to each each day you build a little bit more. And I, I. I. But I think this trip, you know, amplified that and it, it advanced that because I learned. You know. You, when, when you have the kids with and they're going out with you for the majority of the time, um, you know, it's more about them being out there than you. Uh, so I, I learned a lot more, you know, I could be a very driven person when I'm out hunting and I learned to step back and say, Hey, what's really important here? Is it, is it, is it getting that quail? You know, is it, is it trying to get your limit or getting it, making sure you get the biggest deer out there? Or is it, you know, spending the time with the people that you love and sharing that and, and building memories that way? You know, it, it, it became something different than I originally thought it was going to be. You know, some of the biggest highlights, like you asked earlier, um, was the people we met. We, we, we built lifelong friends out of this trip that we plan on seeing this next upcoming season and that we've invited out to you know, our place here in Arizona and, and we'll go visit them and where they hunt. And it became something more than just a hunt for me, for sure. It, you know, it became the experience of, um, just, just what, what traveling offers you and, and, and exploring new places and, and, you know, seeing more of the country and, and what that entails. So, yeah, I think that would be the highlight. And, you know, and the thing I learned the most is that, you know, maybe the hunting was just the catalyst of getting, getting us out there as a family, you know, maybe that didn't matter as much as just being out there with them. Very cool. Very cool. And I'm pretty sure you're a better hunter because of the fact that you put yourself into unfamiliar territory with birds that you maybe haven't hunted before. And I tell people all the time, I'm like, yeah, if you're a good pheasant hunter, <clears throat> try going quail hunting and, and you'll learn something there that you can apply. And you just, become a more well-rounded all the way around hunter by going to places you've never been and trying things you've never done before. Uh, I'm assuming you would recommend this to anybody. Are you going to do it again, Fred? Another trip around the country? We, we are. We are. We're talking about this fall. You know, I don't know if it's going to be to the same extent. Uh, we're going to be basing out of, uh, Arizona here a lot more, but yeah, yeah, we're, we're going to, we're going to do this. We're going to do this again. I think this is part of us for, for a little bit until we get to the kids to a certain age where we, we really want them in a school. But, um, right now the homeschooling is going great. So I, you know, I, I think we learned a lot from this one and we can make it even smoother this time. And yeah, we're going to get after it again this year. Is there a part of it that you absolutely would not do again? No. That's perfect. <laughs> no, I don't think there's anything in there that uh, that I regret. Think we could, you know, obviously little things that you can make it a little bit easier. Um, but no, I, I don't think so. Has your wife mentioned anything from her perspective that she feels like this was why I enjoyed it so much, or this is something we did that really meant a lot to me? Yeah, you know, I think before this, it was, it was a lot of me going out hunting and I, her involvement in it is what she really liked. And she liked the fact that what the kids were learning by being out there, like this is stuff you can't learn in school. Uh, you know, just interacting with new people, seeing the country and, you know, how everything's just a little bit different in uh, all these different cities and states. Um, you know, just the learning the kids got out of it. And then just the fact that we were together a lot more. Uh, you know, the, she kept mentioning that, that how that important that was. And honestly, this upcoming year, this is more driven by her than me at this point. She is the one she's like, we are going on the road again. Like this is an awesome. absolute must. And yeah, she, I mean, everything about it. And she loves like the farmer's markets and that type of stuff. She, she, you know, you go to a new town and, you know, she would know everybody in that town by the end, like, oh, the baker is such and such. And, you know, she's open from this time. And she went in and helped like, my, my, my wife had, uh, gone to culinary school and she's a phenomenal baker and she went into some of these towns and would meet the bakers and help them out certain days. It was, I don't know. It was just, uh, everything about it. You know, I, I, I <laughs> it's hard to pick one thing, but she loved it as much as I did. 
Very cool. Well, my wife and kids listen to this podcast every week, too. And uh, I'm wondering if something in her mind will trigger to try this because we've done the camping trips we've done uh you know like last year we we took the kids into the black hills and and spent a week out there and visited a lot of historical places and the hands-on learning you know the hands-on experiences um go well beyond the hunt but obviously the hunt is is so important too so uh there's just so much to be learned but that time spent together you know get it back you just don't get it back. And those memories are so much more valuable than any um, tangible item you can hold in your hand. I agree. And, you know, and it, life is short. It really is. And you don't, want to, you don't want to have the regrets of not trying something. You know, we're all going to fail at certain things. But, like, this is, this is your time. Like, this is it. You only have so much time on this earth. Get after it. Get out there. Try something new. And you'll adapt. If, if something doesn't work, you'll find a way of making it work. You know, it's, it's um, I don't know. I just, I really encourage everybody to get out there. There's always an excuse not to do something. There's never a perfect time to make the leap to get out there and do it. But, you know, each, each day it's getting shorter. So, I don't know. I can't encourage people enough. Just if you have that dream and you really think it's something you might want to try, please go do it. It's, it's worth it. Well said, Fred. Thanks for taking the time today. Congrats on your new place in Arizona. We'll stay in touch and hopefully we'll uh, try to do this again. I don't know where you're going to be when we do it, but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that we can continue to touch base and hopefully inspire people to get out, out of their comfort zone, find new places, bring somebody new along, bring their family and enjoy it. Well, I appreciate you having me on uh, and being able to talk about this, Travis. Thank you very much. Brandon, any closing thoughts? <laughs> Negative. I'm just jealous. I wish I could just spend a few months on the road. That's all I would really want to do. So. I got to figure out how to talk yeah. Scott well into done. letting me do this. I mean, I've got most of my job mobile at this point, <laughs> yeah. thanks to the pandemic, I guess. So yeah. I, some ideas might be brewing. I've done a, quite a few podcasts from the road and you've, yeah. you know, you yeah, can pull it off. I think this is doable. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to. But a little Scott, if you're listening, let's let's talk about this. Yeah, it's, it's very inspiring. It really is. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, uh, once again, if you have any topics you want us to cover, any guests you want us to interview, find us on Instagram, Facebook, or go to our website at theflush.tv um, and send us a message. Send us your thoughts, and we will try to have that guest or, or discuss those topics. We're always interested in what you want to hear, so send it our way. Next week, Brandon, we'll be back with another episode. I'm not positive who our guest is going to be yet, but that's kind of the fun of it, man. Yeah. We just, ah, who needs to know? Yeah, it's, it's like Fred said, we just figure it out as we go. <laughs> exactly. And I uh, hope you'll be along to join us next week. Until then, I'm Travis Frank reminding you to take the time to introduce someone new to the field.